I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Geek Down Podcast. This is a show where two friends sit in front of microphones and try to find the sweet spots where their fandoms intersect. My name is Jordan Ferguson. I am coming to you from Toronto, Ontario, and joining me on the other line, lounging in the satellite branch in scenic Hamilton, Ontario, it is your girl, Caitlin McKinnon. Hello. <laughs> such such chipper. So chipper. So shiny. <laughs> friends, this is episode 199. Pow! Kate didn't know where I was gonna go. What I was gonna go with might have been pow, might have been plunk, might have been poof. Yeah, we don't. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. I'm looking at my my levels. Uh, 199 peaked when I did that. <laughs> why are they? Why? Because it's episode 199 B. Because we refuse to celebrate episode 200, even though we have well passed it by this point, but not officially, and will not do so officially until such time as the world has reoriented itself, which may be never. Yeah, well, we'll see how that goes. Cases are on the rise. Yeah. Oh God! Oh yeah. God! <laughs> Ooh, yeah. I just, I just, I don't want to think about it today. I don't want to think about it today. You know, it's nope. a, it's a beautiful day outside. It's cold. It's sweatshirt weather, y'all. It is sweatshirt weather. And when I'm done this, I'm throwing on a sweatshirt and some jeans, and I'm gonna hit these streets because I'm off um, today. No, it's. It's not. Hmm? It is. How dare you? Layer that it's layering. Weather. It is true. 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 How many? How many? How many cardigans is this weather today? This is one cardigan weather, except you have to have a long sleeve shirt under the cardigan and a coat, <laughs> like a thin like fall coat, but a, but a coat. So one cardigan plus coat and long sleeve shirt and long sleeve <laughs> long sleeve shirt. Yeah. Listen. I have no problem with layering. Like, autumn is fat guy stunt season because that's when we thrive. Layering is when we thrive. You want to see me at my most dandyish? little cardigan action. It's beanie season again. That's exciting for me when beanie season comes back. Major Canadian yeah. retailer got a new, a new palette of colors of Herschel beanies. I'm like, do I need a pink one? I might. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, no, all that is to say. Beanie. <laughs> what? Nobody needs a pink beanie. How dare you? <laughs> Friends, if you have thoughts about whether or not I need a pink beanie, you let me know on Twitter at GeekTownPod. That's where we hang out the most. Or, I mean, you can give your opinion on Facebook. I won't listen to it because you're on Facebook, and I rarely take opinions from anyone on Facebook seriously. You're probably telling, going to tell me that the manufacturers of pink beanies are trafficking children out of the warehouse or some shit. Like, Yeah, just ignore everything. <laughs> Everything there, except wow, we didn't even update this week, did we? <laughs> oh, we, did we not? I didn't. I got the Twitter one out, and part of me was like, I should tell Kate to update the Facebook, and then I forgot. Oh my gosh, you should have told me to update the Facebook one. I would have done it. Well, here on record, on Mike, Kate, you're in charge of Facebook promotion. Okay. You spend more time there than me, anyway. Friends, like I said a second ago, uh, this is episode 199P. If you would like to listen to any of our other 199 episodes or any of our other episode 199s, look us up wherever you get your audio content, wherever you find your podcast or your streaming music. Search Geek Down Podcast. We are probably there, most likely. Hit follow, subscribe, big up, daps, good game, high five. And from henceforth, 
you don't have to do anything after that because new episodes will be 199 plunked directly into your device by your mans. Chauncey Frostelicus III. Oh, my. Internet Elf. God, girl, he's just going to drop those episodes straight into your device. You don't have to do anything else. And when you're debating whether or not you need a pink beanie in your life, you don't have time to go out and look for a podcast. We understand it. So just let Chauncey do the work for you. If you would like to thank us financially, we appreciate it, but discourage it. Keep yo money. Keep yo money. Do not give it to us. So we are riding Serb till the wheels fall off, so we're set for at least another month. Um, uh, I have an owl uh, piggy bank. That's where I keep my money. That's where. That's Kate Serb. It's yep. a stern-looking owl. <laughs> yep, that's Kate, Kate Serb, all right. Uh, yeah, so, friends, uh, apologies for getting a little, a little loose the last couple apps, making a concerted effort to tighten it up this week, number one, because I just, it's heroic for any of you to listen to an hour and 45 minute podcast. Secondly, I, it's heroic of me to edit hour and 45 minute podcasts. <laughs> take, and also. Take a long time, uh, y'all. Also, this weekend it's my birthday, and I have stuff to do. It is, it is Kate's. As you listen to this, Kate will have celebrated her birthday. Hop on your social of choice, yeah. and give the queen the respect she's due. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> beep, 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 beep. So, <laughs> to that end, not really much socially to talk about for either of us. I don't think I'm very tired. Nope. Working, working is yeah. not is not doing it for me. I did want to call out one thing. Um, I as said, have gone back to work and really only had like one pair of pants for work because I, right. I have to be in dress code for a major Canadian retailer again, which just means like black pants. And I had a pair of black pants and they were like probably fast fashion. And like it, we were, we were maybe two weeks away from the crotch of these pants turning to dust. Fat guy problems. Holler if you hear me. When the chafe erodes the interior, the inseam of your trousers. Oh, yeah. That's fat people problems. That's, that's not even fat people problems. That's chubby people problms. Yeah, y'all get to wear dresses though. Then only your own thighs oh, are. Then no, only no, your no, own no, thighs no, are no, being no. damaged. Oh, oh, oh yeah, oh. exactly. <laughs> so, in an effort to alleviate this, also people are always like, "Can't you just sew a patch?" It's like, no, the fabric is gone. <laughs> there's nothing. What am I sewing a patch to? There's magic? nothing. There's nothing to sew. This isn't a cut. This has been. This has been Thanos out of my crotch. It's just not there anymore. My crotch don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. Wow. Oh, that's good. <sighs> All I needed was to get through that first coffee. <laughs> anyway, I bought a pair of Dickies, which I haven't owned since the 90s. Which meant, I, in the subsequent decades, I had forgotten that Dickies are basically cardboard with a zipper on it. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Uh, probably shouldn't have tried wearing those before I washed them, because last night at work was... The longest five hours of my life. Friends, we do have news. Nothing as subsequent or, you know, earth-shattering as, you know, cuties or any of the other stuff we talked about. Although, we would be remiss if we did not uh, salute the god, the notorious RBG, who passed last night. Do right by her, America. I don't want to talk about it too much because it's too fraught with everything. That's, that's, That's the extent I'm going to say about it. What did I see? It was a tweet. Vote like she's watching. There. Ooh. That's that's all you need to know. Uh, 
things that are less important, but we probably care about. Marvel casting news. The machine's firing back up, Kate. Feige, yeah, Feige, yeah, I know. Slowly but surely. Feige's not going to let this languish for too long. Um, two items of note. One I care about less, and one I care about a little more. Um, Jonathan Majors, who is a name that, if you're watching Lovecraft Country, you know. You may not know his mm-hmm. name, but you know him from Lovecraft Country. He plays Atticus. And when you see his face next to the character, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he has been cast to play Kang the Conqueror in, yeah. in the upcoming Ant-Man 3. Sidebar, there's going to be an Ant-Man 3. And that is the only real detail we know is that he's been cast. There's been some speculation that his this character's introduction into the MCU will also chauffeur the Fantastic Four back onto the mothership. We will see. I've also heard some speculation about Young Avengers, but I feel like if Feige... The Fantastic Four is like the one jewel that like he probably wants back in the crown. <laughs> that yep. has been kind of like left and forgotten. That he can actually, and everybody's done it so poorly that's that he's probably like, we can do it really well. I know that's the thing. Some nerds are like, eh, the X Men. The X Men were fine. I mean, New Mutants notwithstanding, like the X Men were basically taken care of. That franchise had enough moments. The Fantastic Four, nothing is ever good. Nothing good has ever come of Fantastic Four cinematic movies. So it's like the it's the first family of Marvel, and it's probably the last challenge left for Feige to try to pull off. So. Yeah. I think that's probably an accurate speculation. Uh, other piece of casting news that I care about more. We had talked a while back that uh, She-Hulk, Shulky, Ms. Walters, was getting a uh, Disney Plus series. Yep. And uh, now we know who will be playing her. Yes, we do. Orphan Black's Tatiana Maslany will be playing and her. Canadian and Canadian Tatiana and. Very important. Yes. Also Canadian. That's cool. I think. I think that's great. She, I think if anybody can pull off a dual and then mixed personality, it's Tatiana. Very good point. (laughs) The fact that what the article I read said, you know, you know her best for playing 90% of Orphan Black. Um, She's probably like, it's like 17 characters. Orphan Black was the clone show. If you don't know, we actually go back to, like, the first Watcharama. We checked it out then. We liked it, but never went back to it. So maybe that should be an opportune June selection later on. Ooh, maybe. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that's that's a good thing. Um, I love how, like, Mark Ruffalo, even though 90% of the time he's, like, you know, super liberal politically on social media, he also has no problem being like, yeah, I play the Hulk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he tweeted out the story with, like, welcome to the family, cuz. Yeah. Like, Mark Ruffalo. you just you just the Ruffaloist. He um, is the Ruffaloist. He is. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's going to be good. I think Kate and I were both looking forward. Of all the, like, confirmed and potential Marvel Plus offerings, I think we were both really excited about the idea of a She-Hulk show. If it was going to be more in line with the version, with, you know, the sensational She-Hulk that we enjoy and less the, you know, savage She-Hulk. Let's smash more lawyering type of thing. If you can give me that version of it. We do have a showrunner for it as well. Um, uh, Kat Coiro, whose work I'm unfamiliar with, but that is who will be uh, producing and directing most of it. And I believe running the writer's room will be a woman named Jessica Gao, who is best known for her work on Rick and Morty. So it'll be Mm -hmm. funny. (laughs) It'll be funny. I mean, if you're going to 
pick anybody from the Rick and Morty casting room, you probably want to pick the women. Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Speaking of other things we like, a lot of a lot of brief hits about things we like in the world today. Uh, Kate. Yeah. How do you feel about Harley Quinn getting renewed? I think that's great. It's not surprising, surely. How do you feel no, about it transitioning? No how do you feel about it transitioning to HBO Max? Um, I mean, the pro. The, I I would say like fucking bullshit. But I have to pay <laughs> to watch it on Amazon anyway. Right. It wasn't like it was on Amazon and now I'm having to pay. It's just, yeah, just HBO is trying to really fill out gotta, their lineup. Exactly, gotta gotta fill the decks. It's not a very gotta deepen the bench a little bit, as it were. Yeah, and and Harley Quinn. It's I, I don't know how the world feels about it. I think it's a great show. It's funny. It surprises me all the time. Um, they've done some really amazing things with it. It's unbelievably gory, which we know I love. Um, I think there's probably a lot of people out there who like it. I'm sure there are people who are like, eh, um, because there always is. I mean, you get a clean drop of that later. (laughs) But, um, um, but I, I really enjoy it and I probably will grab a subscription or I will pirate it. You'll probably, <laughs> honestly, you'll probably, you got Crave, right? Here in Canada? Yeah. It'll probably turn up on yeah. Crave. Okay. If well, the- but, see, that's the other thing though. We just don't know sometimes yeah. like where things are. <laughs> Because Crave is like an amalgam of HBO and Showtime, well, is Showtime HBO as well. I don't know. It's a weird amalgam because it's Canadian, so it gets some of the HBO. It gets like all the HBO stuff, but I think yeah. some of the, but gets additional stuff as well. So it will likely, likely, I think, show up there um, whenever it drops. Or, you know, it will be on the seas. As we always say, if you don't make the stuff easy for us to find, we're just going to go get it. So, yeah. So much for that. Another piece of news that we had talked about uh, back in the day under the subject heading, quote, you didn't have to, was the uh, Your Name live action. Yep. That was coming out. Your Name or Kimi no Nawa is the Makoto Shinkai animated movie that made a bajillion dollars in Japan. Might actually still be the highest grossing movie in Japan, like out passing like Titanic and shit. Um, Kate and I both greatly enjoyed that movie. And of course, as with anything, if if... Hollywood fixer gets a sniff of it. He's going to scoop it up. Got to get that IP from somewhere. And <laughs> there have been some, uh, there's been a, a crew shuffle for this. Um, one that means nothing to me and one that I go, Ooh, Ooh. So the one that means nothing to me is on the director side. Uh, Mark Webb has left the project and now, so the new director is Lee Isaac Chung who's not anyone I've ever heard of. He apparently directed a film titled Minari. Um, but I mean, again, if you're having an Asian director work on an originally Asian project, probably a good sign. On the writer side of things, the first draft of the script was done by a guy named Eric Heiserer, I believe. Forgiveness if I'm mispronouncing that. I got some fancy new Zebra Sarasa pens, and they're just too smooth for my speedy handwriting. <laughs> His entire page looks like chicken scratch. Uh, he was best known for writing the movie Arrival, writing the screenplay, adapting the screenplay for Arrival. Um, and notably at the time of, you know, 
the time he was announced as part of the project, he may have gave some, given some statement to Variety basically saying that, like, it's got to have a Western perspective. And the right. world and the world went and the weebs went. Ugh. Typical. Yeah. Um, so he's not a new draft is being polished or written or just, you know, a second take is being done by uh, Emily V. Gordon, which is much more exciting to me. Uh, she wrote the big sick. She did write the big sick. Um, and I just know her and love her from um, her days as a podcaster on the indoor kids with her husband, Camille Nanjani. Um, mm-hmm. Emily's great. She's a great writer. If you saw the big sick. You know, that was a dope ass movie. Um, she's also involved and may have written on um, little America as well. I know she was a producer on that and may have written an episode as well. And she's got a, she was a, th- therapist she's like a licensed therapist and before she got involved in entertainment that's what she did for a living so i know she's got i believe she's got a self-help book um as well so we really like emily or jordan really likes emily at least (laughs) and to have her attached uh makes me feel a little more comfortable i mean again you still don't have to you don't have to i mean that might be a theme that comes up later in this episode but (laughs) you didn't have to um but if you're going to do it, this is a better version of it than the one I think we were previously getting. So, dope. Yeah. Thanks for that. Friends, next it isn't so much a news story, but I just kind of want to reload a topic. Kate and I were talking about off mic, and she was like, had six in the clips and was letting them fly. And I'm like, you need to, you need to stop. Because <laughs> these takes are too good, and we want them for the pod. A topic, friends, that we come back to repeatedly is sometimes how you manage liking stuff made by problematic people. Mm -hmm. Jordan greatly enjoys certain albums by Michael Jackson. That's rough. If you you stop squinting, if you stop squinting at the edges and you kind of look at what's on the edges, it gets to be a rougher hang. Currently at the top of the pile of problematic creators is probably your girl, Joanne who yep. is back back at it again with the transphobia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, it's J.K. Rowling, Sorry. writer of Harry Potter. Sorry, yes, <laughs> J.K. Rowling. That's why, that's why Kate's here. She's just here to fill in when I get a little too loose. <laughs> she just fills in details <laughs> that, like, the listeners might want to know who you're talking about, dummy. Uh, yeah. Yes, J.K. Rowling, who also writes at mystery books, adult mystery books, under the name Robert Galbraith. Um, yeah. And... Had a new one come out this week called, I believe it's called Troubled Blood, and features a villain who is a man who puts on a dress and lures women by pretending to be a woman, I guess, in order to murder them. Oh, transgender. Right. Right. That's right. Some people say transsexual. Hold on. Let me do it again. (laughs) Let me do it again. Transgender is much better. Um, If you've been. If you haven't been keeping up, uh, Joanne has had a lot to say since the summer. Basically, oh, it was when George Floyd got killed. I remember when that's when she really started popping off again because I was like, maybe you should have sat on that one for a weekend. Um, she has very strong opinions about transgender issues and the gender binary. But she She's a turf, essentially. Like No, but it's, she doesn't have very strong opinions. That's the other thing that's just like absolutely <laughs> fucking bonkers. If she was, like, this crazed turf, then, I mean, she is 
turf territory, don't get me wrong, but if she was just a crazed person who was like, all transgender people are wrong, but she isn't. She's like, I have friends and loved ones who are transgender. And I'm like, and no one has had a conversation with you (laughs) about like, maybe you're being a horrible person and not really thinking about the issues. It just, that drives me mental. Um, and also, I'm pretty sure the bit in the book is not just that the killer is wearing a dress, but also wearing is like a um, Muslim face covering. Like, I'm not sure if it was like a full burqa, but that is the theory in, in like the two, I think it's officers are talking. Wow. <laughs> insert so insert like, wild drop. There's a. There's a lot of there's a lot of like layers there. There are a few things going they, on. Like in the book, they say like, could you ha- possibly have a better like way to get by with your whole face covered and blah blah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, um, turfs keep turfing. Um, this is bubbled up again this week because the Harry Potter fandom is have is having to reckon again with whether or not they want to spend their money on a property that they love if it's going to financially benefit someone they don't love as much as they used to. And this is manifesting this week with the announcement of a uh, action RPG for the PlayStation 5 that will be coming out called Hogwarts Legacy. And the developers of the game have been very out front to let everybody know Rowling had no part in the making of the game. She didn't have any, any input on the story or anything like that. Like it's her, her characters created by that's the only, the only time her name appears on it. But despite, you know, not really having any involvement in the making of the game, she's going to catch a check going forward. She's going to get royalties off of this game. Just further adding to her, her Bezos level pile of nerd wealth that she has just accrued over the past 20 years. And fans are having to decide again, trying to parse the fine line of loving something made by a problematic person. And Kate and I were talking about this off mic and I was just kind of asking, you know, how she's, how she handles that. And Kate was very out front that she doesn't really care that much about Harry Potter. And I said, but you own a wand. And that really uh, set her off. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say again, Kate, you have a wand. You went to the wizarding world. You were excited to go back to the wizarding world. Mm-hmm. It, but you don't love Harry Potter. No, it's because, um, so I'll, I'll make the points that I made in our conversation and then I'll get on to the point that I was going to. <laughs> so the points are, I liked Harry Potter when I was a kid because it's books for kids. It's for children. Um, I didn't for, for children. I didn't, love any of the characters like I didn't identify with any of the characters they were fine um I love the aesthetic of the world which I I think I throw out is like steampunk magic I'm sure there's a term for it there always is um I'm sure if I look it up like Harry Potter aesthetic steampunk magic. I know a bunch of Pinterest boards are about to come up. (laughs) There's not specifically anything, but basically that's what it is, right? It's like this Victorian-esque gears and cogs and magic world. And I love that aesthetic. I love that 
Um, I was saying that Harry Potter, the world J.K. Rowling built, has a has an element of Suge, um, which is this. I'm gonna find the, the country because I know they get really mad when you say it somebody else's. Swedish. Uh, it is Danish. Whoops. And it's a quality of coziness and comfortable conviviality that engenders a feeling of contentment or well-being. Oh, so this podcast. It's the idea. Yeah, or or exactly, or the idea of like it being cold outside and you come in and there's like a fire and you have warm socks and there's lots of blankets and candles and it's just a warmth. And that's what Harry Potter is. It's this world that is very, you know, warm, especially the Gryffindor area of the school, like their their hall, there's like a fireplace and Christmas is very warm and kind of this old fashioned element where people aren't getting like Game Boys, they're getting like sweaters and <laughs> toffee and magic things, right? This is the world I want to live in. Um and that's why that world is so much fun to visit, as in like reading the books, or visit as in going to um Florida and going to Harry Potter world. Um, you know, it's a group, you see groups of people wearing their Harry Potter gear, which is, it is way too warm for that. They need to make like a Harry Potter Ravenclaw, like shorts and t-shirt combo. Cause I'm not getting in a cape. Um, the other thing I was saying was I don't own any Harry Potter, like clothing. I don't need to, be I think I've got like one Ravenclaw pin. I don't need to like be in that world so much that I am constantly in that world. But I really like the aesthetic and I understand people who like that aesthetic. And it's hard because we there're not that many other things that I can name offhand that have that same aesthetic. Um so that people can like latch onto that. People are like, why do people have to get sorted? Aren't you guys adults? I'm like, because it's fun. That's why. That's the whole point of Harry Potter. Um, what I've never understood is the, the like, getting really far into the fandom and being like, this person should end up with this person. And, like, I, it, I mean, it's a whole conversation about fan fiction as well, right? And the reason the video games and all of that exists is because people like going to the world so much. Um, and I don't know what to say as far as, like, you, like, somebody wanting that aesthetic but not necessarily wanting to support someone who is horrible um that i'm at a loss for but when people are like kate how do you feel about it i'm like i don't care (laughs) i don't care i i'm not buying any of the books i know i go i will eventually go back to the harry potter world and she probably gets a cut of that um but like that's this is a lot of navigation we've talked about this before it's come up on the podcast before the navigation of trying to have things that you like that aren't written by horrible people for instance (laughs) i didn't know that lovecraft was a huge racist oh my yes until until like i was in like my (laughs) mid-20s and i had no idea there are other writers who if you looked a little bit more deeply into have some pretty because whether it's because of their the time period that they were in or how they were raised or whatnot, even now have some pretty horrible beliefs. Um, 
Ender's Games, the writer uh, Orson Scott, Scott Kerr. Yes, huge um, homophobe. Not like, a fan of the gays. Massive. Um, you know, anywhere you look, if there are things that you like, you're going to find out that, unfortunately, someone is probably horrible or has some horrible beliefs. Um, it's really hard to navigate that world. Um, so what do you do? Do you just, like, cut out all fun? Um <laughs> It, well, this is also this. It reminds me of in um, the Good Place, the point system, right? Right. Like if you buying a tomato becomes this like crazy fraught decision, which is how it is in our world now. Like, is it organic? Is the, but it's so expensive. I don't have that kind of money. If I buy non-organic, am I killing the bees and I'm ruining the world? Are the people picking the tomatoes actually modern day like slaves? Like there is a ton of stuff. So our entertainment, which is supposed to be this like fun thing we do to have escapism, which is important for our brains, especially now because the human brain is not supposed to take on this much trauma. <laughs> um, that has become full of minefields. So the points are, I don't care about Harry Potter. It's fine. I really like the aesthetic of the world, though, um, and wished I lived in a big Victorian house with fireplace <laughs> um, and lots of books. And uh, I don't know what to tell people who are like, I really like Harry Potter, but I don't like J.K. Rowling. I don't know what the answer is. I think the best thing was a quote I heard recently from former political, political strategist David Axelrod. It's like, you know, all we can do is the best we can do. Like, so I think if you're allowed to read Harry Potter and you're allowed to enjoy works made by awful people, it, just make sure the awful stops with you. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. don't use Rowling's problematic opinions to prop up your own. Yeah. Like, that's... Stop stop the train of, of stupid with yourself. That's what you have control over. The best you can do is all you can do. So I think that's that's not a perfect formulation, but I mean, you know, like like you said, and like you know, as said in the good place, like everything is fraught. Every decision you make, every every thing you buy, every way you in which you spend your money, it's going to have troublesome ramifications. You know, from the moment we went past, I trade you this rock for that stick. Like it's, it's always been a system of people with power exploiting people with less power. So, so as members of the community of people who have less power, you know, we have to just do the best we can and do what you got to do to get by. And if that means, you know, flying around on a broom in a virtual Hogwarts next year, fuck more power to you. Like. And like, but when, but when your dipshit uncle says something about, you know, men in a lady's bathroom at Thanksgiving that year, maybe you got to step up and say something, you know, say something and be informed, know that things are, or writers or the artists that make your things are problematic. Absolutely. You don't have to turn a blind eye. 
right? And you can say, well, that's terrible. Um, but also it's not your fault for liking something and wanting to enjoy something. Um, I think more than ever, it's important to take breaks. You know, they talk about how popular movies were in the Great Depression because people's brains need to go to another place to de-stress. And if you don't, if you start to take on everything, I can only imagine, you know, the number of issues you might start to have processing the world. I think that's why the British have such a sense of dark humor. <laughs> because they're like, they're just, you know, they just, that's how you, they they deal with their trauma, right? They just have a very dark sense of, sense of humor. I think Canadians have it a little bit too. Oh, we definitely do. Well then, Kate, what are some of the things that you've been imbibing in to make existence in, in this hellscape a little more bearable you have nothing to report nothing no, i'm like i we, we i watched um i watched lovecraft country um and i i watched it and i had my own thoughts and then there are all these articles and they were like much like some people hated the episode and thought it was like vile and some people were fine with it and or liked it. It was just a very interesting spectrum. Yeah, there's been a lot of that going on with that show lately. I don't know. I fell off after episode two, yeah. but. Which is weird because it gets so interesting. And like this recent episode, like, ooh, it was, it was so good. The body horror, like, oh, it was so good. Um, but I know some people apparently don't like it. Um, <laughs> and then there is a scene. So spoilers. If anyone who doesn't hasn't seen it yet, spoilers for Lovecraft Country. Um, yep, yeah, uh, there is a scene where a man gets um, anally uh, raped with a stiletto heel. Oh, um, and which is terrible. And all these people were freaking out. And I'm like, Do you have any idea how many times women get raped on shows? <laughs> it's like it's like at least. Like once a season, there's like a rape. Like the one, the one <laughs> time, the one time a dude gets raped, it's like they're like, oh no. Um, maybe just then, tone down on the rape in general for everybody. That's what I was saying. I was like, maybe we can just like maybe rape like, doesn't need to be a plot device. In the context of what was going on, I understand why they made it that decision. I don't necessarily think it was the right decision, but there we are. Um, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Veggie no. <laughs> ah yeah it's so good um i don't know that i watched much else i watched a lot of youtube videos about restoration <laughs> like the restoration of handbags and of watches from world war ii and of as, oil lamps as you do yeah um which are very soothing if you're if you're needing to watch something soothing before bed go there yeah, I think that's it. I did a lot of homework because I started my classes this week. Oh, the bury the lead. What are the classes we're back on? Um, I am taking, I'm taking typing. So when I was in grade nine, we had a business class, and a big part of the business class was typing. And my friend Rowan just used to do all my tests because it was really bad. Um, so I didn't learn how to type. So I, when people are like, "Oh, you don't know how to type? Do you like?" Heck at the keyboard? No, 
I just don't have proper typing etiquette, so I have to look down at the keyboard. You're like, you're like a spider hand, like your spider hands, like me. So yeah, you're exactly. Not, you're, not pro- you're not in proper position, but I mean, you can type fast. Yeah, and it makes it hard to get. Like I, I have to look down at my fingers a lot, and it's hard when you're doing like finance and data entry and and stuff. And you can work a lot faster if you don't if you touch type, which I don't do. So I was like, finally, I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I want to learn how to touch type. So I've been doing a typing course. And then I'm also doing a French course. I This is like my fourth level of French. I did the third level of French, I'm going to say, over a year ago. You you, talk, you talked about it in previous, previous yeah. Geek Down years. Um, and I have – so I haven't done it for like a year. And this course is – whereas the other one was like English with French. This one is like – a French. All French. And I'm panicking a little bit. Oh, yeah. I understand what's going on, but I'm like looking at what we're reviewing and I'm like, I don't remember doing this. <laughs> so I didn't have the textbook. I think there are two sort of like streams of the French courses. And though the one I took was equivalent, it's not the same. Um, like they already have the textbook, some of the students. So I had to like hurry and grab the textbook, which I did. Um, I think I'll be fine, but I always seem to get really overwhelmed at first, um, and then once I get into it, I'm, I'm okay. And then, of course, I will be taking driver, driving in early October. I'm doing, finally doing my driver's les- uh, lessons to get my driver's license. Um, so I'm excited about that. So I'm very I'm – tr- I actively was like I want to be busy mm. because I'm, we're going to be inside forever. <laughs> I'm just saying. Forever. Forever. So I'm like, I actively was like giving myself, I'm, I need things to do and to worry about that isn't the wider world. Again, this whole thing about giving your brain a break. <laughs> I don't, I want to like keep my, the brain, the muscle active, but I want it to like, even though I'm allowed to worry sometimes, worrying all the time is just going to make me sick. So, yeah, so yep. that's what's sort of going on this week. All right. Uh, I honestly didn't watch much either. So working for a living is garbage, y'all. Um, <laughs> and what ate up most of my, um, you know, viewing time, you know, I have a video game in my life again. So when I get home from work, instead of watching shit on TV, I just, you know, take strolls through uh, Kamurocho. I unlocked the Cabaret Club mini game, which we all know is my, oof, can never... It's what I live for. It's what I live for, Kate. I sent, I sent Kate a screenshot of like the tutorial for the Cabaret Club mini game, which is basically Cooking Mama with women. <laughs> Customers come in. You want to give them the the hostess that they're gonna vibe with the best. I mean, so you, your club makes the most money. And then how can you spend some of that money that you make? Well, you can buy new outfits and new hairstyles for so your your top shelf hostesses. And I sent Kate this the shot from the tutorial. Where it's mentioning that fact, it's like, you know, or you can buy your best girl, you know, a new dress. You know you love it. Like, this game gets me, Caitlin. It, it, it does get you. Um, so, yes, Yakuza Kiwami 2 continues to be delightful and will tide me over. We mentioned up top that the PS5 had been announced. Um, the price points as well. It'll have a digital-only version, so no disk drive. And then one with a physical media player in it as well. Um hundred bucks separating the two and i think it's going to be five and six respectively mm-hmm. so yeah i'll be out there day one 
for for the PS5. Day one, day one, year five of its life cycle. <laughs> see you in, see you in twenty twenty five. After a couple price drops, y'all, we're like PS twenty twenty five. Am I right? Oh, um, oh, <laughs> lower decks. As said, delightful. Everyone who has changed their Twitter avatar to Badgie, you're my hero. Um, <laughs> I, I had a, I had a waifu game make a make a return this week, which was the oh. the worst one. It was Review Starlight, and as as I have morphed into someone who just loves to watch videos about um, voice actresses, the cast, there's a lot of overlap with voice actresses I already like from other games in Review Starlight. Ibaina, who does Yukina in Roselia, who's the singer in Roselia, is also in, in uh, Review Starlight. Um, it's more of an RPG. It's less of a music game. Music is involved, but like, you know, when you hit your climax point... You know, you build up your fucking meter. It's your limit break. Whenever you hit your your meter fills up, a song starts playing. And mm-hmm. different songs give different effects. Um, it's the- theater girls, right? It's about theater girls who, for some reason, sword fight. Um, <laughs> also, this was the property that brought Maho Tamita into my life. And we will always love it for that because she's insane and I love her. But they announced, I got, I got a targeted ad on one of my socials that they were, they had two things. They had number one, a come on back promotion. Where they just give you a bunch of free shit if you come back. And mm-hmm. they're doing a collab event with Bang Dream. Okay. That's which, pretty cool. So I was like, all right, I'll dip back in. Um, and they've also made made some tweaks to before. The problem, the reason why I tapped out on this game in the first place was to, like, really make your characters powerful. The grind for materials. There are 9,000 currencies in this game. And each girl, like, needs a different combination of them to, like, level up. And you get them as you do as you grind through levels and you can even skip levels. Like you don't actually have to play them. Like if you three star it, if you do all the goals, you can just skip, you can hit tap, skip five times or 10 times and get all the rewards without actually having to play it. But just the grind was ridiculous, but the pieces you would need to like really advance your characters. You couldn't get doing that. It was only during special events or beating bosses that I couldn't beat because my characters weren't strong enough in the first place. They've lightened up that a little bit. It's easier to get those pieces. It's still a grind, but it's like feasible now. Um, and also, cause it's actually got a pretty decent player versus player. They did a thing where you can, uh, veto two of your opponent's stage girls. So okay. if, if, if they've got one, if they have one that they've clearly, if there's one that's just killing everybody all the time, if they've got it in their party, you can say, nope, not her. And then they can't put her in their party. So I like that. I like that tweak an attempt to even the playing field. If it's some whale that like spent all their money and has like every fucking, double S rank girl in their, in their party. Like it's not going to matter. They're going to whoop your ass anyway, but I mean, you can give you a fighting chance maybe. And I wish more games did that. Anyway, review Starlight. I'll probably be so over involved. It. <laughs> they're, so involved. They're always involved. I'll probably be over it in, you know, a month once, once all these camp- campaigns end and they stop giving me shit. It was, it was nice to have it back for, for a hot sec. Uh, Kate. Yeah. It's queen season. What season? Queen season. Oh, I thought you said beef season, and I was like, "What? No way!" Kate, no, put put the table back. Kate's already flipping tables. She's here. Kate, yeah, seriously, Kate, Chris was like, "What's going on?" Tables are flipped. Kate wants tea is spilled. <laughs> Kate wants beef season. No, it is queen season. It is I, queen season. When I have been, I have been uh, a witness to this. When it happens, usually around this time, because this is the time of their anniversary. So usually in September, they start. They just start feeding us, Kate. The Royal Highnesses, Kashihuka Achan and Nochi, re- regents of the Kingdom of Perfume, just start 
blessing us, feeding us with all that good shit. So, God, what have they given us? The new single came out, Time Warp. Clearly their producer was listening to Flashing Lights by the weekend. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> nothing nothing wrong. Fun. Nothing wrong with that. It's two minutes and 45 seconds long. So, I mean, sorry to everyone who paid the import fees for a physical copy. <laughs> Yikes. But as well, they are putting out... Oh, I don't know if I need it, Kate. I don't know if I need it. I've seen interior pages and I don't know. They're putting out essentially a catalog of all their costumes, show costumes, album cover costumes, like everything they have worn. We will recall when I went to New York, I paid an extra fee to go to an exhibition they were having in Chelsea in New York to see their costumes. And now this is just like a 300 page catalog of all their costumes. It's going to cost about 50 bucks for it. Okay. And I don't know, I don't know if I need it. The cover is fucking fire. The cover is flames. But it's not like a photography book of them. More like what I saw at the exhibit, which is just like the outfits on stands, you know, with less photos of them wearing the costumes. So I don't know if I need it. I'm talking myself down now. Like when I saw it, when they announced it, I was like, I need that. Yes, immediately. October 23rd. My birthday is the 19th. Done. Do it. Happy birthday to me. Now I've seen the interior pages and I'm like, maybe talk it down a bit. Maybe talk it down. So I don't know. It's developing. It's developing. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned for updates, long updates about whether he will or will Shut not buy this. your mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, they also are on the cover of some fashion magazine they're on the cover of just looking ridiculous. I didn't send you that photo, but like their hands and like, like Nochi's hands and feet and the other two's hands are like done like mirror balls. Like they have the mirror ball oh, cool. stuff glued to them. Um, yeah. Just fire. Fire. We, we do not deserve the blessings they give us. Including this, like, virtual festival they're doing on the 21st, where there is a paid portion, so you can buy a ticket that will get you a login to, like, what they're probably doing a performance for it, or filmed a performance for it. But there's all this free shit as well, including, like, like so you know their tech team is ridiculous, so you'll go onto this, like, you know, island, or this festival thing, and you'll go to different virtual booths, and there's a timetable... And at certain times, it'll be like Nochi playing games or talking about video games. I wouldn't be able to understand shit, but it's like they're all having their own like individual like shows and segments that they're running. Like they're really going all out in a way that I have not seen them go in quite a long time, especially for like everyone. Like they've done this shit for fan club members, which is the Japanese model. Like you ain't get shit unless you pay for it. Um, yeah. But they're really opening it up a little more. And, like, you know, English English subtitles on the video when the music video came out, which has never happened. Legit. It's normally fans that have to do it. So, thank you, Queens. Thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> One last it thing. It is Queen season. It is my Queen goodness. season. Every, every fall, you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Only other thing I watch worth mentioning, I'm surprised neither of us have checked it out or brought it up on the show yet, is High Score. Did you see any of this yet? Ugh, the basketball thing? No, the Netflix doc oh. on uh, video games. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that'd be interesting. No, I didn't see oh, it. Oh, that other thing is called hoops. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw it, but I'm, I, I kind of, I wasn't into video games as a kid. So it might be interesting, but it's not going to hold that same thing as like the, the toys that made us or the movies that made us or any of those. I mean, and I was, and this show still doesn't quite do it. Um mm. It finds some interesting stories. Here's my complaint. It's really kind of set up like Hip Hop Evolution or something like that, or Toys That Made Us. Like, you don't need to watch them in order. You can just cherry pick the episodes you want to watch. 
So right. I'd only seen two, and the two I picked was one on RPGs and one on just the 16-bit war between uh, Nintendo and Sega, which was, like, my peak, like, my first peak. I probably peaked again in PS2 era, but, like, Teenage Jordan, Sega, and that was my Sega Genesis era. Like, oh, my God. That's, like, no friends, small town living, every night playing Fantasy Star downstairs in the basement for, like, nine hours at a time. Oh, Fantasy Star. Anyway. (laughs) The show will find interesting stories, but then try to shoehorn them into, like, their larger narratives, which I don't know always works. So, like, the RPG one Mm. starts with basically the idea of adding graphics to like a text-based game. So that's, you know, I forget there. Roberta Williams, I think was the first one and her husband who started Sierra back in the day. Oh, Sierra. Oh my goodness. <laughs> they made so many good games. Um, and Oh, it spent time talking to fucking, uh, number one, Lord British is wild as it is. What the hell's his name? Richard Marriott. I think his name is the guy who invented Ultima. Um, uh-huh. and invented Ultima four, which was the first game that had like a morality system in it. Right. Um, which we know I hate, and my hatred for them probably stems back to playing a bootleg version of Ultima 4 on the Apple IIc when I was a child. I just started playing this thing. I was like, oh, what a nice world, and I'm fighting, and th- this is fun. It's all, But, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I didn't know what the point of the game was. I didn't have an instruction manual or anything. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And to this day, I hate PC gaming because of my experience on Ultima 4. Sorry. <laughs> wow. But in there as well... They spend time on this story about a guy, an indie developer, who in the 90s made a PC RPG called Gay Blade. He was a gay man. I'm sorry, he made, he made what? He made gay an Blade? RPG called Gay Blade. He was a gay man. Okay, amazing. And this yeah. was like, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, so like, you know, the AIDS crisis. He was living in San Francisco at the time. Oh, no, he, he was when he made it. He was living in San Fran at the time. And like, you know, you fought... The enemies were pastors, and the end boss was Pat Buchanan, former Republican presidential candidate. And he just kind of put all his stress and his his fears and things into this game. And that's a really interesting story and could have stood on its own. You just could have done an episode on this dude. But because of the version of the show they're doing, it's supposed to be like, here's about RPGs. We really like this story, but we're kind of shoehorning it in and rushing it at the end. like Because then he lost every copy of it. He lost his story. Everything, like, didn't get picked up in a move, so he lost every copy of the game he owned. He lost his the computer with a source code on it. Like, it was all gone. And it's the story of, like, him getting it back because he gets contacted by somebody who um, is trying to make a basically a database of queer representation in video games and had heard about Gayblade and wanted tracked him down to see if he could they could get a copy of it. And dude was like, no, I don't have it. So... They, like, put the word out, and then they found, like, you know, one one person had one copy somewhere. That type of thing. That's a great story. It doesn't need to be shoehorned into fucking, you know, the 15 minutes you get with Yoshitaka Amano talking about how he came to Final Fantasy. Like, right. it's kind of scattered. And a similar thing happens with the Sega and Nintendo one, where they're talking about the different avenues Sega was trying to take to differentiate themselves from Nintendo. And one of it was sports. The head of Sega of America was like, we need sports games. We need better sports games. So that means Madden. So you get into the start of the Madden franchise. And then it veers off again into the story of this dude I never heard of, who was a black gay man who really wanted to work for EA and like kept cold calling to get a, he was a, he was a programmer or a comp sci student. And he kept calling all the time to try to get a job at EA. 
and he finally did. He finally gets a shot. And his big contribution was like pushing the technology to get multiracial characters, like different characters of different races all in the game at the same time. Cause the tech couldn't do it when he started, all the players had to be white. And he was like, like 90% of NFL players are black. Like we need to, if we're going for a realistic ah. game that has to be there. And they're like, Oh, we don't have the technology. So he like, help develop the technology that could push these consoles to display white and black characters playing on th- at the same time. That's a great story too. I never heard of this dude, but it's like, you know, 15, if that 15 minutes in this story about, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> so it's, so weird. it's a decent show. It's not great. I mean, the deep dive that something like the toys that made us will give to these subjects is probably better than what, you know, a toy that made us on the Sega Genesis would be better than what this episode did. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, and it, it can be done. Like, you see something like Hip Hop Evolution, which does kind of like veer through all these topics, right. and talk to all of these people. But it makes sense on that show. Like, it all flows better. I feel like than it flowed on this show. Anyway, it's on Netflix. It's a decent hang, but not a great hang. And if you just want something kind of pointless to watch while you're eating dinner, I mean, that's what I did, and it worked. So. Solid, cool. solid six. Friends, we're right. gonna take a break right here. Cinematic September rolls on. When we come back, it does. Kate and I are gonna get into what we brought each other this week. Yeah, yeah, we are. It's a, it's one of those weird ones. <laughs> BRB. And welcome back to the show. This is the half of the show where we talk about things we brought each other. We have one of those weird ones for you this week where it doesn't really align, but I'm sure it'll be fun. But before we do that and we talk about those things, we have some rules. Yep. First rule is the rule of three, which is if the thing comes in parts, we will watch all of those parts. But that doesn't doesn't matter this week because they are movies. Theme. The second rule is hashtag save it for the pod. That's the rule that uh, we will not talk about these things until we are sitting in front of these microphones. You want that hat? If you want that hat, we can't talk hat, about it beforehand. Hat, hat. I, I had to put a pin. I had to. I had to. I had to cool down Kate's hat before the mics went on. I was like, "Yo, save those Harry Potter hats for once the hat, mics are on." Hat, hat. There's some takes in this house. There's some takes in this house. Um, and then finally the third rule, which is not a rule, it is a policy, and it is that there will be spoilers. These things are old. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> um, but if you don't like spoilers and you haven't seen them, then get the fuck out. Get the I mean, fuck out. Go and have some tea. Don't spill it in its entirety into your drawer beside your bed. Don't do that. Put on a long sleeve shirt and a cardigan and a windbreaker and a jacket and go mm-hmm. enjoy go enjoy your Saturday if it's Saturday when you're even, listening to this even possibly some fingerless gloves and a scarf might uh, let's give not you... let's not shit ourselves Grandma okay you know what you need to go all cool the, need to go all the way there though I have to say that a, a really nice benefit of a mask is that it keeps your face warm it does I'm actually it's the one good thing I'm looking forward to about mask life yeah. We like to alternate. 
So we are going to start with the thing that Caitlin gave me. Oh, good. I'm very excited about this. I don't, I, it's, I'm excited because I have no idea. No idea. Now, before I get into what it is, I know this movie has some problems. <laughs> All of his movies have some problems. <laughs> Specifically, the ends. Because I don't think he knows how to end things. I think he just loves making movies so much. He just doesn't want them to end. Um, so I know this. But that aside, I still think that Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Terry Gilliam is one of my favorite films. It could be a thing where it was one of the first films I remember watching when I was a kid. like 19, So it came out in 1998, and it's a film adaptation of the Hunter S. Thompson 1971 novel Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, um, which was also, I don't know if you've ever read it, Jordan, but it is also a trip. So it was co-written in, and it was directed by Terry Gilliam. Uh, the other writers, there's a bunch of them. There's like three others. Um, but it has very much the stamp of Terry Gilliam in that it is, is wild in some parts. It stars Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro in the first role that I remember him in as a kid. Mm. Uh, so um, he plays Dr. Gonzo and and Johnny Depp plays um, Raul Duke, um, which is really Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Um, yeah. Uh, so the film details the duo's journey through Las Vegas as their initial jur- journalistic intentions devolve into an exploration of the city under the influence of psychoactive substances. Um, I know that the film, like all Gilliam films, did not do well in theaters. <laughs> it is a cult classic. Um, this is a fucking and, Criterion edition of this movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it is now looked at as you know being a good film, but at the time it definitely was like, what the fuck is this? Which is most of Terry Gilliam's work. So the plot, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm no, gonna try and keep don't it. Bo- don't bother. <laughs> Okay. All right. So basically, initially, um, the character of Raul Duke, which is really Hunter S. Thompson, gets sent to Las Vegas to to cover some journalistic things because he is a journalist. But they do just a ton of drugs, mescaline being one of them. Um, and it just, the trip really does like devolve into this weird snapshot. At one point, I think it's the second half of the film, he's like passed out for days and like wakes up in basically a flooded hotel room yeah. and gets just like snapshots of things that have happened um, throughout this time where he's blacked out. Um, so anyways, but it's a fun movie. It really is a fun movie to watch and just the wildness. Christina Ricci makes an appearance. Um, a lot of people make appearances. Yeah. Um, they're just, it, it, it's awful because it, especially for a kid, it makes doing drugs seem like a lot of fun until the end, which is always what drugs are like. They're fun until they're not. Um, and it becomes really dark in parts. Um, I think Johnny Depp does a great job in this film, and same with Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro does a really good job of that, like, the fun uh, alcoholic until they're not <laughs> character, um, where you're you're like, he will stab me, or he will cut off a finger. Um, 
so yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about this film. Um, I think, I do think the cinematography is fantastic in this film. If you haven't seen it, see it. Um, and finally, Jordan, what did you think? I'm very surprised. I know you said you saw pieces of it. I'm very surprised you've never seen the whole thing. I don't know that you need to see the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't make any difference, really. Nope. The first thing I wrote down was, okay, well, this, how, how, how to approach this, how to interrogate this. A couple things you need to know about me, which I think will illuminate how I feel about this movie, which is, number one, my Catholicism around narcotics and my take on uh, Dr. The, the, original, the OG Dr. Gonzo, Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson, while I have not read this book that this movie is based on, I have read his work. The head of my journalism department uh, back when I was in J school uh, thought I... She thought I bore some resemblance in style to Mr. Okay. T- to Mr. Thompson and handed me a, uh, a Xerox of um, the Kentucky Derby is whatever and depraved, um, yeah. which was one of his first examples of the style that he would innovate, which is gonzo journalism. And that is that thing which in today's day and age is unthinkable, which is like you get assigned to do something and you don't do the thing you were assigned to do. You just do other yeah, shit and write about that. Do drugs. Um, and yes, in his case, it was mostly drugs. It's like a combination. It's like a, it's like the more if what they call the new journalism, which was putting you know these kind of like Truman Capote and Cold Blood that kind of like you know put the writer into the story more. It was like the what the whacked out version of that, where it's it's you are coming to me, Hunter S. Thompson, to hear what I think about this story that I may or may not even touch on. That was really innovative in the '60s. Now, when someone like you know Kyle Ove Gnausgard, he of the like you know four thousand page navel gazing uh memoir cycle my struggle yeah um when he gets assigned to cover something and chills out in a room in halifax and writes about his coffee maker for three thousand words it's a little less endearing to me i don't know uh, i respect the man's contributions but anyone who's that into drugs i just have a knee-jerk reaction to think they're full of shit i don't know what it is about me maybe it's my own you know puritanical hang-up to get over if you're that into drugs I just think you're full of shit. <laughs> so that's that's my unfortunate thing with Hunter S. Thompson. I looked at this movie, watching this movie is like reading Coin Locker Babies. Like, <laughs> I respect that you did it, but I don't know that you needed to. I don't know that an adaptation, this movie looks like it exists because Terry Gilliam wanted to do some shit, which is maybe the reason why Terry Gilliam makes any movie. <laughs> well, and maybe, and maybe why he hasn't made one in a while because it's harder and harder to get financing for just, I want to do some shit. Um, um, this though has been like this movie with different directors had been under works for ages. Why? There was like a play at play adaptation. I think because at the time there wasn't a lot that was like, we're really spoiled right now. There is a lot that is different and new and interesting. And a lot of stuff that's been like rediscovered. I think at the time or for the years moving up to this, like this had sort of been in the works from, I'm guessing, the 70s. Probably. Like, after it had come out. Um, like, you should just hear about the the possible casting. It, the initial development um, to get the film made it started with Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando. <laughs> uh, then it, it moved to Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Oh, God. Then possibly John Malkovich. Yeah. Then at one point, John Cusack. Like, it... it 
has it was in development for a long time, and I think a lot of different people wanted to to make it. I, the first thing I have written down in my notes is this movie is a specific '90s kind of pointless. Like yeah. the reason the reason like, I, the reason I told Kate to not bother with the plot because there isn't one. It's just two dudes do drugs and roll around for like two hours, and the like reason to watch it is how Gilliam makes you as the viewer feel what they're feeling. Yeah. So it's to, to it's me it was like, more of an like exercise. Dazed and confused. Dazed, well, yes, but Dazed and Confused also had like, you know, I guess it depends what you want out of your dialogue. Like Dazed and Confused was a pointless movie as well, but it, it tried to give at least, you know, with, will they sign their consent forms for the football team? Like I guess there was like one, one plot point in that movie. Oh, come on. This barely has a plot point. I mean, it's, it's a, it's worth watching as a technical exercise to see what Gilliam does. Yes, there's going to be puppets. He does really interesting thing with the lighting and the framing and just how the lighting, especially I was taken by a lot. Like when they're in like hotel bars, tripping out the way that lighting looks to when they like switch hotels. The carousel. Oh, it's a carousel scene. It actually gets me every time. So when they switch hotels later on, the one where Christina Ricci's there and it's like, everything's brighter and pinker and like, like, yeah. Like they're coming down. They are now sober, so everything bah, lightens up and and smashes in your face more. And I don't have a huge vocabulary to appreciate that stuff. And if you do, you're going to look at this movie and probably think it's like you know a marvel of technical filmmaking, narrative filmmaking. I don't know if there's a lot going on because the movie is like a way to give culture to people who don't want to read books because <laughs> it's sixty percent audiobook. When I saw the screen, I when I saw the screenplay credit, I was like, what? Uh, how, how are you? How are you claiming you wrote this movie? <laughs> It's literally just Johnny Depp reading the book, half the movie. And really, the only, the take of the book, and the reason why the book is important, is because it was kind of the first acknowledgement that the 60s had failed. Yeah, um for sure. And did, there's, you know, everybody talks about the wave speech, which is this kind of like, you know, riff that Thompson goes on in the book, that like, the feeling in the 60s that like, oh shit we could win. How does he phrase it? We could win it over the, you know, the, the old and powerful, you know, the, the age of old and powerful, we could win over this, not militarily, not by force, just like our energy would carry us through. That's what it felt like. We were just riding this huge wave of change that was going to like overtake everything to now being in, you know, 1971 or whatever. And, you know, looking out a Las Vegas window and like seeing, how does he phrase it? Seeing the high water mark where the wave rolls back. Like, no, you, you didn't win. That's a hugely important take for that time. And probably, I mean, spoilers for Hunter S. Thompson's life, like, dude killed himself at, like, 50 because he didn't want to get old. Um, so you probably wouldn't be happy to hear me say that was probably the most important thing he did was in, you know, 1972. But because I was trying to think, I was interrogating myself, okay, well, I think this movie's kind of pointless. Does that mean I think the book is pointless? No, because I think the book did have something important to say. Did you need to make that into a movie? I don't know. Technically, well, yes. It, there's a. It's like uh, the difference between a movie that is relevant to what's going on in the world at that time, or a movie that is a encapsulation of of what that person did, right? Like an encapsulation of the thoughts and what was going on in that piece, as opposed to like what is important. Mm. It's not quite the same, but it's the way that um, uh, V for Vendetta 
like V for Vendetta was a fun film, but it wasn't as powerful as the the comic book because the comic book was actually like Alan Moore was actually making commentary about what was going on at the time. Right. And even Alan Moore said about the film, if they had said it in America, it would have had more of an impact because that what they were talking about wasn't, it didn't really have anything to do with Britain in the present. It was what was going on at that time. Mm. So the way that fear and loathing, it's a fun film and it's an encapsulation of like what that piece was what Hunter S. Thompson was doing, which was a lot of drugs, and, like, the fun part of that movie and the weirdness. And, like, sidebar, and I mentioned the wave speech, which is, like, I made, I just made Hunter S. Thompson sound like a genius. That's five minutes out of a movie where the rest of it is just, like, the masculine was starting to kick in. Yes. The ether. Yes. The damned ether. <laughs> Get in the car. We're in vet country. Like, <laughs> that's... Yeah. That's a pretty that, good impression. Well, if you stick, um, stick, a pe- stick a pen in your mouth and everything sounds like Hunter S. Thompson. Uh-huh. Um, but anyways, I just, that, I will say on the, on the performance side of things, I do have to call out. I think, I know he's like 70% canceled now and I think we take him for granted. And I think if you watch this movie through a 2020 lens, you'll just be like, yes, Johnny Depp doing Johnny Depp shit. But like, this was one of his like first coming out parties as like, is he 70% canceled? His divorce trial has not been, uh, not been painting him in the. In the best light. I thought I thought that was the opposite. It, it depends on the day, I feel like. Oh, okay. I feel like it depends on the day. Um, Interesting. Yeah, this was, I think this was, I mean, you said this was, what, 98? So, I mean, he wasn't really the Johnny Depp as short her, shorthand for Johnny Depp yet. Like, so you can look okay. at this performance and be like, yeah, it's just Johnny Depp being Johnny Depp. But this was one of the first times Johnny Depp was being Johnny Depp. So it's, it's impressive in that regard. I just want to shout out Christopher Maloney (laughs) for for playing, for playing the gay bellhop or the gay uh, concierge. Yeah. And it's a great role. It's a, and it's a really great scene because it's, you know, the second half fear and loathing in Las Vegas. The book was basically about two trips. One that he goes where he was supposed to cover this motorcycle race for sports illustrated, which he did not do. And another one where he like, I think he kind of conned Rolling Stone and wanted to go cover this cop convention or something. Um, yeah, on drugs. Yes, on drugs. And he's going to the cop hotel, and it's this exchange between, like, you know, central casting, state trooper, and Christopher Maloney as this gay concierge telling him that there are no rooms. And he's like, but we booked the room. You little boop. I'll, <laughs> I'll beat your ass type of thing. Sir, I'm so sorry. There's nothing I can do. And Thompson is, Depp as Thompson is watching this scene and saying, the cop isn't hearing what he's actually saying, but I can hear it. And then it's, it's Maloney then saying what the intent is, which is like, you know, fuck you. This is now my power. <laughs> like, yeah. this is how I put power over you. And then, then Thompson's just like, Dr. Gonzo is just like, or sorry, Ryle Duke is, is the Thompson character. It's like, Hey, uh, can I get a quart of wild Turkey? And can you get my bags? Certainly Mr. Duke, I'd be delighted. <laughs> yeah. That whole scene, I greatly much enjoyed. Listen, I'm I'm happy I saw it. It's a weird thing to sit through. It's the most multitasking I've ever done in a movie. I'm not going to lie. Because it's just like, we're still talking about drugs? Okay. Uh, if you like drugs, uh, have at it. Movie of the year for you. <laughs> it's de- definitely definitely a peak moment for Ether. <laughs> the best, best movie moment Ether's ever had. <laughs> peak 
moment for ether. <laughs> it's um, a really high water high watermark for ether. The cinematic career of ether. Narratively, I don't think there's anything. Uh, there, there's no there's no stake there. There's no there there. Um, narratively, but that's not necessarily the movie's fault. That's the source material's fault because it's really hard to make a first person nonfiction book into a movie, and that's as you said. Maybe not Gilliam's strongest suit. I think he's a visual guy, and I think he likes to make cool-looking visual stuff, which he does here. Yeah. So I'm generously giving it a seven. Generously giving it a seven. Ouch. <laughs> and listen, I I'm. It's very different to watch this movie at 42 than it would be to watch this movie at. How old were you when you saw it? Oh. I think I was in junior high. Yeah. So, obviously. Like, and I was in junior high and had no idea who Hunter S. Thompson was. Yeah. So, yes to all of that. Like, of course this movie was going to, like, cement itself and be the coolest thing you ever saw. Like, it's it's made for that. It's showing you this world and this experience that, like, you know what drugs were when you were in junior high? Like, Oh, of course I did. <laughs> To that extent, like, oh well, I, I psychotropic I lizards fucking in the uh, fucking in the casino dr- type drugs. I, like, I guess I would have known what marijuana, cocaine, opium, heroin, because I'd already seen like Train Spotting, okay. Basketball Diaries. <laughs> like, I'd seen like a ton of drug <laughs> movies by the, then. The peak of heroin cinematic history: <laughs> Basketball Diaries yeah. and Train Spotting. Yeah, Good year um, for dazed and I'm dazed and confused. I'd seen some other stuff as well, so I knew like what the major, I guess you could say, like the major drugs were. <laughs> Mescaline, I possibly looked up. Young Katie Maxlaco's search history was just wild back in <laughs> back in O two. I, mean, I knew what I knew what opium was <laughs> and stuff. Like I I started reading the Confessions of an English Opium Eater because I was that fucking kid. Wow. Yeah, I know. God damn. So, yeah. yes, if you saw, if you came to this movie as a young person, it's like, you know, I mean, the equivalent for me, even though it came out a year later, was like when I saw Fight Club and was like, that's amazing. And then you get a little older and you go like, eh, it's kind of edgelordy oh. and, and troublesome. Um, but at the time, when you're seeing it for the first time and you've never, if you've never seen anything like that before, yeah, you're going to think it's amazing. You're going to think this is a criteri- criterion collection worthy movie. And and I think it's going to hold up and be that for, like, every generation that comes to it. So maybe it gets an eight for that. I don't know. But it came to – but I saw it at 42 when my first it, – It also – Go ahead. It also, like, it is a Gilliam. Like, it's a mess. <laughs> like, anything you take – any Gilliam movie you take is a, is a mess. Um, and you kind of have to, like, be okay with that. <laughs> you kind of have to be like – the movies are messy. That's fine. Like, think of Brazil. Like, Brazil was a mess. Brazil was a mess. Um, yeah. And uh, Baron Munchausen. And, like, just... And that's why he was so good with, you know... Um, oh, my gosh. I can do it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have to give me some, some cues. Monty Python. Monty Python. <laughs> Like, Monty Python, like, was, that was Gilliam's, like, home, right? Like, that, you can see all of Gilliam in that. Um, So, but then when doing, trying to do, like, a concise 
story just isn't his thing. Well, it's on Netflix. Y'all can check it out. Let me know if I'm just a no-fun buffoon who needs to do more drugs. (laughs) Everyone should be doing more drugs. Wow. This is Barry the hottest take of the episode at minute minute 90. Friends, moving on. Moving about as far away as you can get from... So far. From psychedelic-soaked trips through the Nevada desert. We come to the thing I gave Caitlin because I was like, I need to give you something. What's a movie I've watched recently? I watched this. Why don't you watch that? See what you thought of it. I thought it was okay. And that was only yesterday from 1991. One of the lesser known gems in the Studio Ghibli Ghibli catalog. When they all hit Netflix en masse, we know I was like eager to like, I don't need to watch Howl's Moving Castle or Spirited Away again. Let me get, let me get in the dirt. Let me get in that stuff. Let me watch my neighbor, the Yamadas. Let me watch, let me watch them <laughs> joints that I like everyone forgot about. And this was one that I had heard good things about that is kind of forgotten about. So only yesterday, uh, or Omoide Poroporo, which translates to Memories Come Tumbling Down, which is a much better title, is a 91 Japanese animated drama film written and directed by Isao Takahata, the the other giant of Studio Ghibli. Everyone knows Miyazaki. Not as many people know Takahata, but he was the other pillar of that that studio. It's based on a 1982 manga of the same name by Hotoro Okamoto and Yuko Tone. It was animated by Studio Ghibli. Only Yesterday explores a genre traditionally thought to be outside the realm of animated subjects. A realistic drama written for adults, particularly women. The film was a surprise box office success, attracting a large adult audience and becoming the highest grossing Japanese film of 1991 in that country. It's also been well received by critics outside of Japan. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, not that Rotten Tomatoes rankings mean anything, but... Wow. Um, Surprising. Oddly enough, on August 31st, they announced a live-action special based on the manga will air on some NHK sub-channels in January of next year. And it will be about a 64-year-old Taiko and her daughter and granddaughter. Well, there you go. Get on board, y'all. In time for the sequel. (laughs) What is this about? In 1982, Taiko Okajima is 27 years old, unmarried, has lived her whole life in Tokyo, and works at a company there of indeterminate nature. She decides to take another trip to visit the family of her brother-in-law in the rural countryside to help with the safflower harvest and get away from city life while traveling on a sleeper chain to Yamagata. She begins to recall memories of her life as a schoolgirl in 1966 and her intense desire to go on holiday like her classmates, all of whom have family outside the big city at the arrival of the train station. She is surprised to find out her brother-in-law's second cousin, Toshio, whom she barely knows is the one who came to pick her up during her stay in Yamagata. She finds herself increasingly nostalgic and wistful for her childhood self while simultaneously wrestling with adult issues of career and love. The trip dredges up forgotten memories, not all of them good. The first stirrings of childish romance, puberty and growing up, frustrations of math and boys, and lyrical switches between the present and the past, Taiko wonders if she has been true to her dreams of her childhood self. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically a 90-minute slice of life. We know how Kate (laughs) runs hot and cold in the slice of life. Like I said, I thought this was okay. It's definitely a different type of Ghibli movie. Um, so that's why I wanted to watch it and I kind of enjoyed it on its own merits for that fact. But Katie Mack, how did you enjoy this hang through the Japanese countryside? This movie was two different movies 
that they tried to Frankenstein together. <laughs> Apparently not, because it's based on a manga, but, uh. But, I mean, like, even the manga. Well, maybe. I don't know. Also, I'm sure there's stuff lost in translation here. More than likely. Now, I did that thing again where I had the subtitles and I had the dub going. Mm. Uh, dub was actually, I think, better than the subtitles. Uh, dub but featured subtitles... Daisy Ridley and Dev Patel in the leads. Oh, there we go. Um, oh, that's who that voice was. It was Dev Patel. Um, anyways, I really like Dev Patel. Um, what are those two movies? Um, so there's a movie about, or a story about, uh, you know, being from the city and having this, like, what farming is and, like, having a connection to the land and people shaping the land and that. And a story about a woman reminiscing about her childhood. To what point, I'm not sure. <laughs> like, I don't know what the point... Like, she, I love her talking about her 10-year-old self seeming to, like, almost haunt her. Not in a bad way. Mm. Not in a, like, you know, uh, uh, toilet monster, like, <laughs> some Japanese cinema. Like, not a toilet monster ghost, but just, like, this strong bubbling up of of her childhood um in grade five um because she did she, talks, she did not fit in in a very japanese way of not fitting in which is not like she's like some you know crazy rebellious punk type of thing but i mean she was not a perfect round peg no so and and there are some things in the story that really hit home when she talks about the kids who get who get fractions and the kids who don't mm. I was like, oh my God, this is my life. No wonder I never understood life. I never understood fractions. <laughs> little Kate, little fractions. Kate never understood fractions. Um, I thought that was a great line. I thought there were some really great lines. I actually really enjoyed them talking about farming and, you know, how humans to farm and to really have a connection to the land. They, they work together with the land. So that was all great. Um, but I didn't understand, like, there was no, I didn't understand why, usually when you, memories of your childhood or memories of your past are in a story, it comes to some sort of, like, cathartic understanding. The the end remembrance she has about this poor kid who didn't want to shake her hand. That wasn't even done in a flashback the way the other things were. Right. It was done as like he was like a ghost. I don't know if they ran out of time or budget or what. <laughs> um, but that was weird. Um, it was very like mismatched in parts. Um, there was the, I mean, again, it, it was almost like the story of what was going on now. And then there were pieces of her childhood, but they didn't seem to reflect what was going on in the in the present narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it did. Like when she was talking to the young girl on the farm, she talked about like the time her dad slapped her, mm-hmm. right? That connected. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. She comes off as being kind of crazy in some parts. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was just, I, I liked so many parts of it. Um, I didn't feel like the romance was very well done. Um, it's kind of put on the back burner until, uh, you know, Obasan is like, why don't you stay, why don't you stay here and marry homeboy? <laughs> yeah. And, and 
there's this thing said in a Jane Austen novel that there didn't seem to be any peculiar regard. And then <laughs> she seemed to be like, hey, it's a person. It's this guy here. She could seem like she might like him, but she there isn't any sort of you don't sense any um mm. chemistry or att- attraction i know that's weird to say but like a cartoon but it happens um so that was kind of weird i thought the movie was gonna end with her just being on the train being like i'm out <laughs> i'll be back next summer and then as the like, credits are rolling there's this whole epic scene with her getting off the train at the next station and going deciding to go fucking live on the goddamn farm which seems to be like a huge thing it's kind of like shoved in there at the end um and her and what's his name you're 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 okay. you're burying that portion because i did say when i watched this movie initially on the show that like i was it was fine but i didn't get ghibli feels until that that scene because yeah. it's not just that she's running off the train. Her 10-year-old self it's, is, like, leading her by the hand. Her, ten, her 10-year-old self and the class. And the entire class, And her 5th yeah. grade class. Um, they're all everywhere. And that is done so well. It's so magical. And they do have moments where her 10-year-old self will appear or some of the kids from the class will appear, like when she was on the train going to the farm. Mm. But you don't see them um, when she's, like, at the farm. And I don't know if that was done on purpose. I think it would have been great to tie the narrative together. Um, I don't know. I guess there was, I had problems with them not tying the narrative together, which actually is an ongoing issue that I have with Japanese cinema, where they, I find sometimes that their narrative is very like loosey goosey. Oh yeah. Real, real, real baggy. Yeah, and I and I know it's just a stylistic thing, um, and some people are fine with that. For me, I like really, <laughs> as I talk, hey, this is our mon- our, our cinematic theme for both movies: loosey goosiness, <laughs> saggy. Did this Apparently, movie- I'm fine with Gilliam. Well, if this if she had been, um, if she had been smoking safflower petals and tripping out on the farm, you probably would have been more into it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but anyways, but I also like. It's weird because there's some things I loved. I loved to see them working on the harvesting and how they, Yo, you know, process the petals. I'm sure it's much harder work than they made it look, but all I wanted to do after this movie was start processing uh, <laughs> safflower flowers. Yeah, and she even says, like, I know it's a much different working on the farm all the time than coming for two weeks in the summer, right? And yet she still decides. Like, I wanted to see more thought process there about, like, why she decided Mm. that this is where she wanted to be. Um, Because she even talks about, like, you know, she's putting on this act of, you know, wanting to do this work and being connected to this place. But can she really be a farmer's wife? And I, there was no, like, resolution of that. I don't know. Maybe it's a lot of unspoken stuff. Maybe I'm just in a weird place. You spilled your tea all over the place. It's a weird day for you. I, I literally, you guys don't even understand. Like, I spilled so much tea in a drawer that there was, like, three inches of tea at the bottom of the drawer. Like, Jesus everything Christ. got soaked. Anyways, it's very sad. Distraught, almost, I can say. But anyway, um, it is a 6.5 to 7. I got to think that's, about it more. That's fair. It's the Ghibli equivalent like, of a medium movie. Like, it's just... Yeah. If I took certain parts out, they would be, like, eights or nines. 
and then if I took other parts, it would be like a five, right? <laughs> like it's a really mixed bag, but I, I like how they did tell the story of her childhood. There were a lot of moments I understood. There's a moment where she's having this like whiny fit about this, a bag, like right. this purse. It's culminating in her father, like, slapping her. Yeah, I forgot about that um, scene until you mentioned it. And the second you said, you know, the bit about her father slapping her, I was like, ooh, yeah, that was a rough. <laughs> yeah. That was, rough um, that was really interesting. Um, the part about the pineapple. Yes. Like, they frame these very, like, like, I've had experiences like that. Like, the first time I ever ate a pomegranate, right? It was a big deal. They're pretty expensive. Um, this girl, Amy, who was in who I went to school with just like was the coolest and she would have pomegranate sometimes. So I desperately wanted to try pomegranate um, and not being satisfied with that experience of eating right. a pineapple. Like that was so viscerally done. Like you were in it at the fact that when they talked to the girls about their periods and one of the girls, right, tells, that's where that was in that movie. Right. Tells the boys about her period, the girl's period. And then the boys are like, being awful about it right. and like yes. the girls are so embarrassed and that was just so well done i was just like what does this have to do with the rest of the story <laughs> even if she was like you know processing stuff when i was a kid or had some sort of you know tie-in i would have been happy but that's just not the way they do things there and i should just <laughs> deal with it Anyway, so it is – I'm going to give it just a seven because there are just some pieces that literally I will think about forever now <laughs> because they were so well done. Um, and I'll forget about the bad pieces. So I'm sure over time it will be a seven. Also, can we just have more animes about trains? <laughs> <laughs> I just – like even the little – there's a scene where she's – so basically it's a sleeper train. So – the way they do it is, is for people who've never been on a sleeper train, like myself, who definitely wants to, <laughs> there's basically a hallway on one side of the carriage and the other like three quarters is the bed or beds. They're sort of like bunk beds. Um, and there are these little fold down seats. I was like, that's delightful. <laughs> and she's like, she, when she gets up, she like folds the seat back. Anyways, just details like that. I really love. So, so peaks in this week we have peak cinematic moments for ether and trains. And trains, yep, that's right. Good, good week for ether and trains. Friends, yep, that is also on Netflix. Get into it. It's pretty short too, if I recall. Right, it's like ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, I think about that. It definitely what didn't go on like certain Ghibli movies. I can tell you this. And definitely, if you've never seen Takahata's work, don't start with Grave of the Fireflies. But no! <laughs> oh my God, please, no! <laughs> definitely not now. Take a, oh God, yes. Just avoid preventing Grave of the Fire. Forget I said anything. You know what? I'm gonna cut that out. Forget I said anything. <laughs> <laughs> no Grave of the Fireflies for anybody. Um, but yeah, definitely. Pompoko, Yamada's Princess Kaguya. I might watch Princess Kaguya this this weekend actually. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service. That's Miyazaki, but yes, also also chill. I mean, I'm just saying, just. Do that. <laughs> do, do that instead. All on Netflix. Bless you. Bless you, Netflix. <laughs> this podcast is always peak peak Netflix time. So, friends, I believe that's going to do it for us this week for another installment of the Geek Down and Cinematic September. If you have thoughts, questions, queries, comments, hit us up on the Twitter at Geek Down Pod. Let us know how you're feeling. 
That's where we hang out the most. We will be back next week for another fantastic episode of Cinematic September. We actually planned out the next the next three, I think. That was gonna be gonna be hot times. Hot times here. I'm I'm being I'm being nice to her. She didn't get a proper cinematic September, so I'm I'm retconning some extra weeks for movies for her. So we will get into that. And then and then oh on the horizon. It's looming. It's looming and waiting for us. You'll blink and it'll be here. Just a mountain of crap waiting to tumble over all of you. Yeah, just... but don't skip don't skip over our the Halloween special. I have got I have got such a good selection oh, you for get, this Halloween. You got spoopy season locked down? Oh, I'll have to spend some time on oh, spoop, spoopy yeah. season then. Friends, the hits just keep coming with the Geek Down Podcast, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So come back next week. We'll be here. More flame takes for your head top. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. My name's Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. And we hope that you will join us again for another amazing episode of Skeet Down Podcast. Frosty, no, oh, Frosty. <laughs> okay, go. Um. His friends call him Frosty Resort. <laughs> oh dear. All right.